Hello, I'm Jeffrey Wyatt, manager of Sydney Observatory, and I'm going to be talking to you about what's visible in the sky for the month of October 2007. To get the best from this podcast, you need to have a star map, which you can either print directly from our website at sydneyobservatory.com, or better still, you could have a copy of the 2007 Australian Sky Guide, which you can purchase online or from the powerhouse shop or observatory shop. Now, the first thing you need to do is to print your star map and find a comfortable dark location. Obviously, with most of us living in cities and towns, it's not so easy to get a very dark location, but as long as there are no direct lights shining into your field of view. If you're in a really dark location, of course, a a small torch with a bit of red cellophane over the top will allow you to read your star map and follow the directions, because it really can be quite challenging to make sense of these patterns of stars that we look for. Everybody's familiar with these incredibly detailed star maps where we see mythological characters and we go out there and we look at the stars and we simply see a few points of light. Well, clearly the ancients that came up with these had vivid imaginations and quite probably the odd uh, bolstering of their imagination with a little red wine. Perhaps if the nights are getting warmer, a bit of wine and cheese wouldn't go astray for us either. Have you ever wondered why the stars are different each month? Well, it's really quite simple. In positions across Australia, such as Sydney, across to Adelaide and to Perth, at that sort of latitude, we're spinning around on the Earth at about 1,400 kilometres per hour. The entire planet is zooming around the sun at 30 kilometres per second. These two motions combine to give us a a different view of the stars night by night. And in fact, you'll find that the stars are in a slightly different position each night. If you're really careful, you could actually measure that the stars come back to the same position each night about four minutes earlier than the night before. Now, that's not much, but throughout the course of a month and over several months, that four minutes day by day adds up. And that's why we get a different view of the stars month to month. All right, we have our star map, we've gone outside, and we're laying down. Now we need to make sure that we're laying down with our feet towards the south, so that to our left we have east, to our right we have west, and back over our head we have north. Look straight overhead and you'll see a group of stars that with a bit of imagination looks a bit like a triangle with a bent hypotenuse. This is perhaps one of the oldest constellations to have been identified and that that is of course Capricornus the sea goat although most people these days simply call it Capricorn. Capricorn is a very famous constellation and we've actually found pictures of it dating back about 3,000 years to Babylonian tablets. Now why would this constellation be so famous if it's not very bright? Well not now but in the past At the time of the winter solstice for the great civilizations in the northern hemisphere, the sun was in the constellation of Capricorn. This means that the sun was also at its most southerly position. So if you're at the Tropic of Capricorn, the sun was directly overhead at noon on the solstice. Now due to precession of the equinoxes, a 26,000 year wobble of the earth, 
the December solstice no longer takes place while the sun is in the constellation of Capricorn, but the idea remains, and it's a tradition that we stick with. But once again, let's go back to the theory. How do you end up with a group of stars that to most of us looks like a triangle that is supposed to be half goat, half fish? Well, one story is that there were a group of gods that were in fact having a, I suppose you'd have to call it a picnic. They were attacked by a demon known as Typhon. Now, the god Pan, who plays the Pan Pipes, did the only obvious thing at the sight of this demon coming. He panicked, which is where the word comes from. He ran to the nearby Nile River, threw himself in to change into a fish to swim away. But the parts of his body below the water started to change into a fish, and the parts of his body above the waterline remained as a goat. And supposedly, you end up with a half goat, half fish. Now, the brightest star in the constellation of Capricorn, Alpha Capricorni, it actually looks like a double star when you look at it through binoculars. It's not, but it is. Oh dear, now that's a bit confusing. To the naked eye, the brightest star looks like a, a single point of light. Through binoculars, you'll see two stars. Now, these two stars are completely unrelated. However, if we use very powerful telescopes, we can actually see that each of those two stars is a binary. So, in fact, what looks like a single star to the naked eye is, in fact, four stars. And this is something that happens time and time again. With our eyes at the bottom of our atmosphere looking out into the vastness of space, we see pinpoints of light. But in fact, in the majority of cases, stars are actually parts of multiples, two, three or more. So Alpha Capricorni is in fact four stars. Oh, by the way, if you're really into science fiction, I believe Alpha Capricorni is where the bad guys come from in the novel Dune. Nestled against the constellation of Capricornus is a very faint constellation, which nonetheless is also very famous and associated with the Great Flood, a story that seems to permeate most cultures. The constellation is, of course, Aquarius, the water carrier. Aquarius began life, if you like, as the beautiful young man, Ganymede, who was taken by the eagle Aquila to Mount Olympus, where he became the water carrier to the gods. Now, Aquarius is a fairly difficult constellation to spot. There are not many bright stars in it. And if you can see a kneeling youth carrying a jug of water, I think your imagination is better than mine. But remember I described Capricornus as a triangle. Well, basically, as we look at Capricornus, the stars to the side, to the east of Capricornus, represent Aquarius. They're really only two bright stars, and they have fascinating Arabic names. Sandmalik, which is about 80 uh, solar diameters, so we're talking about a huge star, and about 760 light years from the Earth, and Sandalasud, which is about 610 light years from the Earth. Uh, this second one, by the way, is an interesting star because it is a yellow supergiant. Now, I assume most people know what a light year is, but it never hurts to refresh. Light travels enormously quickly, but not infinitely fast. 
So even at 300,000 kilometres per second, it still takes years, millions of years in some cases, and indeed billions of years for light to travel across our universe. So the stars that we're looking at at the moment are all part of our local family, if you like, the Milky Way. So the stars I've just mentioned are about 760 and 610 light years away, respectively. Actually, that makes them relatively close. Now, Aquarius, although it's not terribly bright, does have some rather fascinating objects to look at. There are two nebulae in particular, and nebula, once again, is simply a Latin word that means cloud. One of them is the Saturn Nebula, or with a fairly innocuous catalogue name, NGC 7009. You see, there are that many objects up there that we have to give them catalogue numbers. It's simply an easy way of finding them. But the Saturn Nebula, this is a star that, well, was at one stage similar to the Sun, but has now died and jettisoned its outer layers that have formed a bubble or a disk around the star and make it look like a, a ghostly image of a planet. And that's why we call them planetary nebula. Now, the Saturn Nebula is actually quite tricky to find. However, there is another one very close by, much easier and much larger. The famous nebula called the Helix, or NGC 7293, is visible through binoculars as long as you're in a relatively dark location. It can be a little bit tricky to find it, but if you're patient and you scan the area around Aquarius, I'm sure you'll come across it. Once again, it's a planetary nebula, so it was a star similar to the Sun, and is, if you like, it's jettisoned its outer layers. Now, the helix is about 650 light-years away, and the size is about 2.5 light-years across. The question is, when did this happen? Well, as best we can tell by looking at the speed of which the gas is moving, about 10,000 years ago. Not very long, really. Interestingly, this will happen to the sun. But when? Well, next Tuesday at 12. No, actually, that's not true. The sun will die in a similar fashion to this in perhaps three to five billion years from now. So once again, don't worry about it. Going back to Capricorn, what I'd like you to do now is head down towards the south and you'll see a bright star all by itself. The star is simply called Fomalo and its name means the solitary one because it's a bright star with not much else around it, I'm afraid but it is the brightest star in the constellation of Pisces Astrinus. Hmm, Pisces Astrinus? Does that mean it's the fish? Well, it is a fish. There are two fish constellations in the sky. We have, if you like, Pisces, the fish that most people are familiar with as part of the zodiac, and here we have the southern fish. Now, the southern fish doesn't look anything like a fish at all, but if you lay there and you look at it long enough, simply try and track out a group of stars that looks like a paisley swirl. Now, we all know that paisley comes and goes in fashions, and I'm not sure where it is in its uh, cycle at the moment, but if you look up long enough, I'm sure you'll be able to come across a group of stars that looks a bit like a paisley swirl. Once you've done that, the brightest star there is the mouth of the fish, and it's Fomalo. What's interesting about this star is that observations with powerful telescopes show that it has a dark ring with a slightly hollow inner ring around it. 
What does that mean? Well, we're not sure, but it could mean that there is the start of planetary evolution. We may, in fact, be looking at the birth of another star and planetary system similar to our own, and it's only 25 light years away. Now, go a bit further south from Fomalo and look for the constellation of Grus the Crane. It looks a bit like a crane. It's got uh, a long, slender neck with stars out to either side to form its slightly shorter wings. Of course, imagination is always essential. You're looking for a fairly simple stick figure, but I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Now, until the 17th century, Grus was actually part of the constellation of uh, Pisces Astrinus. There's not many bright stars in it, but it is an interesting one, and particularly for cultures in the Southern Hemisphere. Those of the South Pacific actually see Grus as a fishing pole, uh, going out to obviously catch some fish. Now that relates to what we were just talking about, because it used to be part of Pisces Astrinus, the southern fish. So whether we're talking about constellations from Europe or constellations from the South Pacific, Grus ends up being fish-related. Now further south of Grus, you'll be able to see towards the southwest the constellation of the Southern Cross, our smallest of all 88 constellations, getting quite low down, and we're about to lose it for the summer months, so it will be difficult to see. Don't forget that you can use the Southern Cross to find your direction. All you need to do is remember that from the top of the Christian-like cross through to the bottom, doesn't matter what time of night, what time of year, you simply extend that axis from top to bottom in a straight line and multiply it by four and a half times its length. Now there is a very faint star at that empty part of the sky, Sigma Octantis, but most people can't see it, so don't worry about it. Once you've extended that line, that is the south pole in the sky, then simply drop down to the ground and that will give you south. Now that we've looked at the southern parts of the sky, I want you to turn around and face north. East will now be to your right and west to your left. Head from Capricorn down towards the northern horizon and you'll see a small group of stars that I suppose looks a bit like, well, technically I think it's called trapezium, but to most of us it's a rectangle that's a bit squeezed over to one side. They're not very bright and it's quite small, but you should be able to find it. And this represents the constellation Delphinus the Dolphin. It's rather small. In fact, it's the 69th uh, constellation of our 88. And it's famous because it's been around for a long time. It was one of Ptolemy's original 48 constellations developed in about the 2nd century AD. Can you see a dolphin in it? Well, I don't know. Now, according to mythology, one story has that a rich merchant by the name of Arion was on his way home with his, with his riches. The crew of the boat were jealous of his riches and threatened to throw him overboard. He said, all right, well, if you must, you must, but allow me to one last wish, and that was to sing a song. Now, he sang a song that was so magical that it actually attracted uh, a dolphin. And when he was thrown overboard, 
the dolphin rescued him and took him back to the coast of Greece. I think this perhaps symbolises more than anything humans' long affinity towards our distant mammal cousins that have moved back towards the ocean. So look for Delphinus the dolphin, slightly below Capricornus as you're looking toward the north. Now, to your left, which is towards the west, once again you'll be able to see the very bright star Altair in the constellation of Aquila the Eagle. Heading down further towards the northern horizon, you'll be able to see the very large northern hemisphere constellation of Cygnus the Swan. Some people have referred to it as the Northern Cross because it is an enormous cross, but most people make a picture of a swan. Cygnus is also home to Cygnus X1, the first suspected object uh, to be a black hole. Towards your right, coming up in the east, you'll be able to see two very famous constellations, Firstly, the zodiac constellation of Pisces the fish, which represents the goddess Venus and her son Cupid in their fish form, tied together by a piece of thread. It's actually quite a difficult constellation to spot, but to make it slightly easier, while you're looking towards the lower right, towards the east, Pisces is actually quite difficult to spot. But to make it slightly easier, look towards your right, down towards the northeastern horizon, and look for a large, well, square. The square is, of course, the great square of Pegasus, the flying horse. Now, surrounding the square, you'll see two slightly, and they're, they're quite faint, circular groups of stars. They almost sit atop a, a V-shape line of stars, and the circular parts represent the fish, and the V is the string that ties them together so they don't get lost as they swim to safety. There are no major special events for the month of October, but nonetheless there are some interesting uh, events to observe. For example, on the morning of the 7th of October, the waning crescent moon will be very close to the planet Venus, in the constellation of Leo. Now Leo the Lion is another one of the original zodiac constellations, a very famous one, that is the king of the beast, Lion. But to us in the southern hemisphere, I'm afraid, Leo looks more like an upside-down question mark. It's fairly easy to find because you've got the two brightest signposts in the night sky there at the moment. So the crescent moon and the brilliant Venus will give you a bit of a, a, bit of a helper to look for an upside-down question mark, which is Leo. On the 15th of October, Venus and Saturn will be very close together. In, in effect, they'll be about two degrees apart. Now, how can we measure two degrees? Well, if you hold out your thumb at arm's length, that is about one degree in width. Now, of course, it depends on how big you are, how small you are, but... Roughly speaking, a thumb at arm's length is about a degree. So look for the very, very bright Venus, and about two thumb spans away from it, you'll be able to see the planet Saturn. That'll appear in the eastern sky. On the 16th of October at about 7.30pm, 
there'll be a rather spectacular view of the crescent moon about five degrees from the planet Jupiter in the 13th zodiac constellation of Ophiuchus. Uh, did I just say the 13th star sign? Yes, I did. Most of us are familiar with the 12 zodiacs, but there are in fact 13. And what we mean by that is that the sun in particular now passes through this 13th star sign. Ophiuchus, if you like, the original doctor who was so good at medicine, the number of people dying and going to hell decreased. And as a result, Jupiter, Zeus, was forced to kill him with a thunderbolt and 